Higgins now lands swings and he crushes it. Left center field. Warning track walk. Goodbye. Today's episode of the WAC Podcast is presented by Hercules Tires. Now here's your host, Eric Danner. Welcome to the WAC Podcast, week number five. My name is Eric Danner. Big show planned for you today. We're going to have Jonah Goldberg from UTRGV. He is their associate AD for communications and the voice of the Vaqueros. We look forward to that conversation with Jonah. And as always, five weeks in a row, we have the talented Rachel V. Hill joining us uh, in another state this time. Uh, Rachel, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. How are you? Long time no see. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we have not seen each other in quite some time, but uh, we talk to each other every week. So I, I look forward to this conversation every week, Rachel, because uh, we don't get to talk like we used to. And and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today, as we talked about last week, was the last dance. And they had episodes three and four. Of course, there's not any sports really going on to speak of. Actually, I did see uh, the PBR had an event this weekend. This was the first kind of professional event, the professional bull riders, which used to be headquartered in Colorado Springs where I live. They're now in Pueblo. They had an event in Oklahoma with no fans. So that technically was the first sporting event, uh, you know, somewhat major sporting event since the lockdown. So evidently that went well. So hopefully uh, that's a sign of things to come. But in terms of uh, watching things on ESPN, the last dance has been the uh, the go-to besides the NFL draft, which we'll get to in a minute here. Rach, did you have a chance to watch it? I watched the first episode. So I'm actually not in Colorado. We decided to go visit some family um, during this time of quarantine. So it's on later here. I'm in Kansas. So it's on later. So I was too tired to watch the second episode. I know that sounds so pathetic. Uh, but we were able to watch the first one. And then uh, we're going to watch the second one tonight, too. So first episode, though, was, I mean, great. Dennis Rodman is just a character. And I've seen, I was on Twitter, which I probably should have stayed off of, but I hear that Jordan goes and chases him in Vegas. So yeah, that, that I'm was, very excited for tonight. That, that And I, I mentioned this last week and probably the week before about the Dennis Radman 30 for 30, which Lon Reisman was a part of, who was our guest last week, the Tarleton State uh, Vice President for Intercollegiate Athletics. And he was an assistant coach who discovered Dennis Rodman uh, at Southeastern Oklahoma. And, and he went on to the NBA and the Hall of Fame. But uh yeah, Dennis, uh, definitely not uh, the easiest person to interview, you can tell uh, from the uh, documentary. He he kind of goes in a lot of different directions and and uh, actually watched uh, the Jalen and Jacoby episode afterwards where they interviewed the director and he, they said they interviewed him, I think, for three hours and they had to get him off of uh, North Korea on most of his answers oh because he would go in so many different directions. But yeah, episodes three and four last uh, on uh, Sunday night. So I uh, recommend that. The uh, one whack tie-in besides, obviously, Lon Reisman, and they really skimmed over uh, Dennis Rodman's past, uh, obviously <laughs> focusing more on, on his time with the Bulls and, and the Spurs and, as you mentioned, the Las Vegas trip in the middle of the season. Uh, but uh, Luke Longley was uh, a center for the Bulls that year, and uh, Luke Longley was actually all whack in 1990-91 when uh, he was at uh, the University of New Mexico when they were part of the WAC then. So I always have to have a WAC tie-in as to, uh, since this is the WAC podcast uh, for the last dance. So that's two weeks in a row, Rach. It's so crazy it to, to think of that. Like, how many ties there actually are to the WAC? It's great to see. I was telling my boyfriend, too, and obviously different sport, but could you imagine a player going up to Bill Belichick and being like, hey, coach, 
I just need to like get away and go to Vegas <laughs> for two weeks. Like, I just can't even imagine if that would happen again. Different sport, but right. you know, you just don't ever think of that happening. Well, that was part of part of the the documentary. Also, was how Phil Jackson was able to handle so many different personalities, and he's he's kind of an outside the box thinker as well. So it probably wouldn't have worked for most coaches and most teams, yeah. but you had a strong personality like Michael Jordan and a strong, and a, and a guy like Phil Jackson who could, who understood, okay, if Dennis needs to go do this, I'll go let him do this, but we need him for the playoff. You know, we need him for later in the season when, uh, when it's more important per se. So uh, kind of interesting uh, <laughs> to see how that was all handled. Now, the other big thing, this past weekend was the NFL draft. Obviously, the whack no longer with football, but we do have a couple of schools that have football. So, New Mexico State, they're a Division One independent. They had a, a player taken in the fifth round of the NFL draft, Jason Huntley, a running back for the Aggies, and and he goes to the Detroit Lions. That's a pretty pretty high draft pick from New Mexico State. Yeah, I mean that's great for him too. Again, not having football here in the WAC, but you still kind of you follow all the schools on Twitter, and so you kind of see and are updated with other sports going on too. So great for Jason! I mean, congratulations to get drafted is huge. And then also uh, Tarleton State joining the WAC here on uh, July first. Zamari Manning, a receiver for the Texans, signs a free agent contract with the Denver Broncos. Ooh, woo, go Broncos! <laughs> and I'm congratulations to him. I know football down there is huge so that's awesome for that school now did you have a chance to watch the draft it was interesting how they how they did it this year you know obviously all remote uh with roger goodell in, in his house but you also got to see you know bill belichick's house and his dog sitting in his, his chair and uh, cliff kingsbury with the sweet pad there and in, in phoenix and and so many different things that you could pick up on uh i was amazed by how many uh, cameras they had at draft picks house not even just first and second round but third fourth fifth round they you know they had the the reaction shots of of live or of uh, players from their homes yeah i was actually watching a facebook live um molly mcgrath allison williams and chris button have been doing this weekly it's called sideline reporters and they brought on Diana Rossini. And so she actually said that they sent out 60 iPhones with all of the equipment so that they could live stream it for all of the draft prospects. And then she also said that in that um, interview, and I don't know if you noticed, but there were a bunch of people that were like hiding um, and that would like <laughs> pop out when it got really excited. But right. ESPN told them that if there was more than 10 people in their house, that they would not go live. So you saw people wow, like, yeah, trying they... to hide and you would see like phones kind of appeared random places. So, I mean, I that would be hard as a player. You know, this is a huge moment for you. And then not to have your family or friends there. I, that just that would be so hard. <laughs> yeah, I did notice the. The iPhone setups, as you mentioned, Rach, with, you know, that they're on a stand. Obviously, they were on a tripod, uh, so it wasn't somebody shooting it, you know, with their own phone, you know, holding it. And also that circle light. Um, yeah. We got to get one of those for the WAG Digital Network, don't we? Yes, we do. I agree. <laughs> I have I have one personally, so I can bring it in. But, yeah, they are, they are awesome. <laughs> that, that's pretty good stuff. And then also... Uh, we're we're here the last week of April, and this past week uh, would have been the the WAC championships in tennis and women's golf. Uh, men's golf would have been coming up this week. So shout out to all those, uh, especially the seniors who would have been at those championships. And um, 
Rachel, always, a, you know, it's kind of sad, you know, that we weren't able to go to these uh, these championships. Hopefully, uh, when this all settles down and some of these seniors can come back and, and play in these championships next year. Definitely. I, I got an alert, actually, from my iPhone that was like, you're supposed to be boarding your flight to go to <laughs> oh, San Antonio. No. <laughs> um, oh, and there goes a phone. <laughs> Must be Southwest calling you. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? The plane's about to leave. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> seriously, I was supposed to be going to San Antonio, which I've never been to San Antonio right. for women's golf. So uh, I had not gone to golf yet with the WAC, and I've been going to tennis the past two years. So I know we were switching it up a little bit this year. And one of the things um, that I, I stumbled on, I was looking through our, our Twitter feed, and Emily Wong, who is the head women's tennis coach at New Mexico State, now obviously she would have been at the championships last week, but she is uh, – uh, taken to working at an Alzheimer's dementia care uh, facility uh, during COVID here as they obviously they need more uh, people working there and, and taking advantage of her degree. So at a time she would have been coaching, uh, she's still working and then helping out the community there in Las Cruces. Yeah, and Coach Wong is incredible. Every time I've been able to talk to her, she has been so nice and very caring and I think what the school did, too, to show what she's been doing is awesome. I mean, just talking to everybody there and talking to Coach, she did – what she's doing is so respectable and I think just an awesome thing for the community and for all of her athletes to see that, you know, you can step out and you can help other people during this time. Yeah, a tremendous story. We might recommend you check that out on uh, the New Mexico State uh, Twitter feed, and it's also in some other places if you check out uh, New Mexico State Athletics. Uh, GCU also would have had the graduation uh, this past weekend. I know they uh, honored some of their uh, seniors on Twitter as well, and i got to imagine that, that that's going to be the case the, the upcoming weeks here with all the WAC schools uh, where all their student-athletes who are seniors would have been graduating in the next few weeks. I know my heart just breaks for every student that is not getting to walk on their graduation. And I know a lot of people are saying that they can go back in the winter, but of course you never know where you're going to be with your career. So my heart just breaks them. Hopefully, you know, they're able to do something, whether that's even just cutting a cake or getting balloons or something, putting on their cap and gown. I hope they're all able to at least get that Instagram picture for themselves, even if they're at home. Absolutely. And uh, even though, uh, Athletes aren't on campus, aren't able to uh, to work out with their coaches. We are seeing a lot of transfers, um, you know, coming through on Twitter, those kind of things. And we always want to make sure that uh, the uh, that, that one that's official, and then two uh, that the school uh, announces, you know, if somebody's coming in or, or leaving. Uh, did see Lindsey Prokop, the uh, WAC Freshman of the Year from Kansas City Women's Soccer, uh, following Chris Sissel to GCU, and she will be uh, playing for the Lopes next year. Yeah, I'm excited to watch her grow. Last year watching her in the tournament, you know, she's a stud. So it's going to be exciting to be able to watch her continue on up and hopefully stay with GCU for the next three years. I'm not sure if she'll be able to play. I'm not sure how the transfer right. rules are going to work. But, of course, it'll just be exciting to watch her grow. And also with Chris Sissel, uh, a guy we've had a chance to, to know a little bit the last couple of years, a high-energy guy, uh, excellent uh, women's soccer coach. Uh, great and, interview and a great, great interview <laughs> well and, and it was funny wasn't it this year at halftime you're interviewing him and usually you do one maybe two questions at halftime and and he was just chatting away <laughs> and not a care in the world he was like we could talk here all day pretty much yeah coach is amazing i'm so happy he's going to gcu <laughs> 
So my my cat Bailey making an appearance here on the WAC podcast again. Uh, she, she she decides when I'm talking, I must be talking to her. So she right. decides to come into the room here and, and meow at me. Oh, one of the other things I saw, Chicago State, uh, again, kind of during this, this down period, they did a, a website redesign, which uh, was fantastic. So shout out to the Cougars. Yeah, I saw that too. It looks great. Very easy to go around and check everything out. So yeah, staying productive during this time, you know, maybe something you wouldn't have been able to do if things were normal. And uh, Whack All Access uh, this past week, uh, the live Whack All Access, you had Pete Fewing uh, talk about great interviews. There's a, there's a guy, you, you could just have uh, one question and, and have a 20-minute show there. But uh, how was, uh, uh, as uh, Roland calls him, Pistol Pete Fewing, how was he doing? It was good. You know, you don't have to plan very many questions for Coach because he just kind of will talk and talk and talk, and then you can just have a normal conversation with him. Exactly. So Coach is an awesome interview for sure. Uh, it was a great talk. He's actually redoing um, some of his house right now, so they've been um, being very productive during this time of quarantine. One of the most interesting points, I think, is I asked Coach if he was at all worried that they may not play this fall, and uh, he didn't say that – you know, there was no way we were playing this fall, but he did say that uh, if they can get a full season in in the spring, that all of the coaches in the WAC that he's talked to would most likely love to be able to do that. So it's going to be very interesting to see what this fall looks like. Uh, again, it'll be weird if there's no soccer or if there's soccer without fans, but I think just the opportunity to continue to play is kind of what everyone wants. Well, and that's one of the things that I've seen as well, Rachel, is the possibility if, if they can't start you know, team practices in August and that gets pushed back and, and you talk about weather and, and certain climates that the that some of the sports could possibly go to the spring, including college football. Um, obviously with soccer, um, men's and women's being in the same season, uh, and then you throw that in with baseball and softball. Not sure how that works logistically in terms of staffing games and those kind of things, but obviously everything's on the table right now in terms yeah. of how we're going to do things the upcoming year. And I, I know that has been talked about potentially having some of these fall sports move to the spring. Now we, we have a, a sport like volleyball, you know, they're, they're inside. Um, who, who knows what would happen there? Cause you have basketball starting up, you know, assuming everything goes well in October, November. Um, so, so a lot of decisions to be made as, as Hope Schuler said uh, last week at uh, people higher than our pay grade. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too. I've had a lot of people ask me, ask me that, you know, they're saying now that the NBA is hoping to make a return for teams, at least in the middle of May, I know the NHL kind of following suit uh, and how different like pro and colleges are. And with everybody talking about how the COVID is going to come back in the winter. So if we're going to have to plan again for this in the winter, are they going to want to cut these athletes you know, season short compared to with the NBA and the NHL, you know, like their season will start up again. So I think it's a very interesting dynamic of how they're all going to handle this. And I think, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen. And I think that's scary for a lot of people, including myself, but we're all in this together, which is kind of a reassuring thought. That, that is true. We, we're all in the same boat and we're all just trying to, to make the best out of the situation. We're talking with Rachel V. Hill, the, on-air talent and broadcasting coordinator for the Western Athletic Conference. Now, we're doing uh, whack top plays on Mondays. Uh, this week we're going to have web gems. Last week we had the buzzer beaters, and 
Web Gems, again, the, the season was cut uh, pretty short in terms of uh, baseball and softball this year, but one of my favorite plays in the early part of the season, Rach, was the triple play by UTRGV against Houston, and as I, as I recall, that was when you were in Houston. Obviously, you were at the Swimming and Diving Championships, but... Uh... I know, I was going to say, I was actually <laughs> in Houston, only a couple of miles away when this happened. Um, of course, we were dealing with a whole bunch of stuff when we were in Houston. Little to think that we... So the water main broke in Houston, which right. shut everything down. For, so for a major part to... of the city, correct? Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, like, everywhere. We had to drive... 30 minutes outside of Houston, I think, just to get like a dinner spot because everything had closed down. So maybe actually, Eric, we got a little bit of quarantine before quarantine actually happened because <laughs> so, we couldn't go out to eat anywhere in Houston. You know, we're in our hotels or ask, asking us not to flush the toilets to take like right. limited showers because there's no water. It was, yeah, little to no or like, oh gosh, just it's been crazy. <laughs> 2020, I'm not sure how I feel about this year. I, I think we could do a redo. For yeah, sure. yeah, we could hit the reset button on 2020. <laughs> That'd be great. The other thing on Fridays, we're doing whack in the day. Uh, last week we did tennis in honor of the uh, tennis championships. This week we have golf coming up. Uh, I'll look back at the past 10 years in whack men's and women's golf. And uh, unfortunately, Rachel, you didn't have a chance to to go check out. Uh, golf this year in San Antonio and, and then in the Phoenix area. But uh, one of my favorite trips that I had was a couple of years ago when we had the men's golf championship in Hutchinson, Kansas, not too far from where you are right now, and uh, yeah. had the best brisket of my entire life, best meal that I've had of any WAC championship. Uh, prior to that, I was in the RMAC for 12 years, any RMAC championship as well. It was the best. Uh, it was just so good there in, in uh, Hutchinson, Kansas. You know, I have heard golf courses just have the most amazing food. I feel like everywhere you go, people are like, oh, yeah, like this golf course has amazing food. Um, I've never really been a golfer, uh, so I've never just been like, oh, yeah, like let's go hit some balls and sit down and, you know, <laughs> have a meal at a golf course. So I was looking well, forward I, to the food for it, sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to set it up too much because this was unique. This was just so good. I mean, maybe I should do the whack in the day on that. I'll I'll call up Dave Chaffin and Chris Thompson and get their thoughts on on the brisket. Right. <laughs> Add a I... little food in there. We'll <laughs> spice it up in the whack. But also, Eric, I want to give you a huge prop because most people probably don't know that you do all the whack in the days. And the fact that you are able to find so many stories that go back, I mean, I'm it's always amazing to me because you are able to connect it to something going on every single time and you do it weekly. So major shout out to you because I know that's no easy gig. Well, I appreciate that, Rachel. And that's actually a, a labor of love for me because uh, I appreciate the history of, of sports and coming into the conference. That was one of the things I really looked at, too, was, you know, that that there has been some great history in the whack. And we'll we'll get into that as as these whack in the days roll on. But, you know, the fact that in the 60s, you know, you had Reggie Jackson playing in the whack. You had. Uh, going on into the 80s, you had Steve Young playing quarterback at BYU. You had Tony Gwynn played basketball and baseball at San Diego State. And then, you know, coming up to more recent days and where you have Pascal Siakam and Reese Hoskins and, and Aaron Judge. I mean, there have been so many great athletes, Becky Hammond, uh, Amy Van Dyken, uh, so many great athletes over the years in the Western Athletic Conference. And that's something a lot of conferences don't have that kind of history. Yeah, that's true. When you look back in our WAC offices, we actually have like a timeline 
of certain events that have happened throughout the WAC. And it was so cool. When I first came in for my interview, I remember looking on the wall and I was like, this is awesome. Like there are so many different events in history, you know, from, again, you mentioned like Amy Van Dyke and uh, Becky Hammond. Like just to see those names up on there, it's so great to know that they came from the WAC. Yeah, and what, one of the ones that surprised me the first time I, same thing, is uh, Bob Beeman, who won the gold medal in the long jump in the 1968 Olympics, and his record stood for 20, 30 years before somebody finally broke it. And I, you know, didn't realize he had been in the WAC, and he actually was at UTEP uh, in the WAC back in the 60s and, and w- went from the outdoor track and field championships in, in the WAC and went on to the Olympics that summer and, and set this record that stood for years and years. So, yeah. And See, I didn't even know that. So you're, you're just throwing knowledge <laughs> my way today. And I'm, you know, looking forward to, we, we just remodeled the offices, which we haven't really even been able to, to sit in the offices yet uh, since they've been remodeled. So I know Vicki Eggleston in our office was uh, going to be doing that again, putting, you know, the, the timeline up, but I'm not sure exactly how, because the configuration of the office is quite a bit different now. Yeah, it is. But we have a studio, Eric, and I cannot wait to use our new studio. I know. I know. I, we would have used it so many times by now. But, you know, again, uh, hopefully everybody out there is, is staying healthy and safe. Uh, I, I have to say, Rachel, that this has been how, what, two months now almost. Um, I am in need of a haircut. I have to say that. <laughs> no, I, I, I figured it would be much sooner. It's kind of weird. My, my hair usually grows pretty fast and, and I get this light bulb kind of thing going. And, um, (laughs) and now it's like if I sleep or what, I mean, it just looks terrible. And, but I mean, again, people have much worse problems than, than my hair right now. So. Right. Yeah. I will say I, you know, I don't really get my eyelashes done. I don't really get my nails done all that much. And, you know, it's something I would like love to do. And with all this quarantine stuff, I'm like, I'm so happy that I do not get my nails done and don't have two month old nails just continuously growing (laughs) off my fingers or my eyelashes are all gone because I get eyelash extensions. I've seen like so many videos of girls being like, my eyes are gone. Like my eyelashes are just completely gone. And I'm like, this is probably the one time in my life where I'm very happy that I (laughs) did not do that. Well, hey, Rach, uh, hopefully uh, everything goes well out there in Kansas. And thanks for joining us again. Yeah, thank you so much, Eric. Can't wait to hopefully see you in a couple of weeks. All right. Coming up next on the WAC podcast, we're going to talk with Jonah Goldberg, the Associate AD for Communications at UTRGV. You're listening to the WAC podcast. We would like to thank our partners, Hercules Tires, Ticket Smarter, and Adidas. Now, back to the WAC podcast. Welcome back to the WAC podcast. Eric Danner with you, reminding you that Hercules Tires is the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference and for over 65 years has been providing tires with unbeatable quality at an unmatched value. Whatever the vehicle and whatever the terrain, Hercules Tires invites you to ride on our strength. For a retailer near you, visit HerculesTires.com. And now joining us on the WAC podcast is the Associate Athletic Director for Communications at UTRGV. His name is Jonah Goldberg. Jonah, how are you doing today? I'm operating within established parameters, whatever those parameters may be. <laughs> well, the parameters uh, for all of us lately have been uh, at home. So I imagine you got the the home base set up there in Edinburgh? Yeah, right now I am sitting up in my bed uh, to do this interview. And uh, sometimes I do work from the couch. 
And those are my two primary areas. I flip with my wife, who is a professor at UTRGV. Mm-hmm. So whoever needs the more professional-looking space takes the couch. And uh, if you need a, a Zoom interview or a Zoom meeting or something and for whatever reason can't use a virtual background, but if you can or you are also watching the kids at the exact same time and need to put them in a room where they can't run around – uh, the bedroom works pretty well. Yeah. How old are the kids now? Well, my daughter is coming up on four, mm-hmm. and my son turns one in a couple of days. So that that takes uh, quite a bit of work. Do you have a, a better appreciation uh, for, for uh, well, I guess uh, not necessarily teachers, but I mean, having to juggle so many things, which you already juggle a lot of things. But <laughs> one of the things I think a lot of us have learned during this this quarantine is is what a great job teachers do and maybe some uh, some others, you know, in, in terms of what we take for granted. Yeah, you know, it's like having two full-time jobs being it at is. home. You got the one with UTRGP and then you get the one uh, where you're teaching your kids. And we've, so my wife and I have taken on a, a split shift kind of role where we try to schedule our meetings for the most part, mine in the morning, hers in the afternoon. And then, you know, there's nap time in the middle of the day that gives us a little bit of wiggle room too. And, occasionally when it doesn't work out then you know the kids are right there with you you know as we record this the kids are actually napping so it works out <laughs> nicely uh but you know we try to do that and then we sometimes try to work at the same time or if you're not able to get everything you need to do that day done uh then after they go to sleep you take your computer back out and you know then you do your work because you also have to teach them you know i you know i focus a lot on reading and writing and uh, with uh, with my daughter and you know my my wife uh, who's a, uh, trained in sciences she's definitely done a lot of science and some math with them as well and you know obviously the one year old he's just putting everything in his mouth but you know our our four year old is uh, doing is really seems to be making some good progress but yeah you know obviously we we miss their teachers very much and would very much like to be able to send them back and uh, you know we know it's going to be a little while and. But everybody's going through this right now, and uh, you know we'll all get through it together. Talking with Jonah Goldberg, the associate AD for communications at UTRGV, and one of the things we've been really impressed with in the WAC office, Jonah, is is how you and Danny Elizondo have been producing content for social media and your website. What what are some of the things you and uh, Danny came up with to to have during the lockdown? Obviously, when there's not any sports going on. Well. When this all happened, I remember my initial reaction, uh, breathing heavily and like content, content, because that's Mm -hmm. always been a driving force for me has been uh, a point of pride, really making sure that we had fresh content every single day. And then even in the summer, we had fresh content every day with the we would skip weekends and holidays during the summer. But, uh, you know, every workday and I know a lot of schools don't necessarily do that, but I. To me, there's so many stories that can be told. Mm-hmm. It's a great time to be able to do it. And then suddenly having a couple extra months to be able to do that at the very least, you start to think, gosh, it's, you know, the first thought is maybe it's not possible. Is it really fair to hold up such a level of expectation? I remember my first conversation with Danny after all these announcements were coming through. I said, look, I mean, I don't know what we're going to do about content. I, you know, I don't know that we're going to be able to do the every day like we, we have been. You know, we're just going to, and do what we can but then there was another part of me that said uh, you know we don't want to go quiet because people will stop going to our website and we want to stay part of their regular routine right and then 
from a Facebook or just a social media analytics standpoint, you want to make sure your content is still something that they're seeing. So uh, Danny never believed me, I should add, when I said <laughs> that we were going to uh, scale back our content. And he was right not to believe me because I I immediately started thinking, okay, what about recurring content? Well, what kind of things can we, we jump on? And we we were doing a, a student athlete of the week with one of our sponsors during broadcasts and also on social media. And suddenly there'd be no more broadcasts. Well, how can we continue to fulfill that? Uh, so we decide that could become a weekly story on our website. Uh, so that's a care of Monday. And then thought, okay, you know, over the summer, we sometimes do a throwback Thursday thing and we intermix it during the year as well. Well, throwback Thursday, that's, that's low hanging fruit. We can sure. do that on Thursdays. Uh, we start talking about people are going to miss live sports. What about re-airing broadcast? And that uh, thought, okay, well, that could serve as a flashback Friday. Okay, three days down. Uh, you know, then we've recently started working with the School of Me- Medicine here at UTRGV and UT Health RGV, and uh, they we collaborated with them on a a workout Wednesday with our strength and conditioning coach. People are stuck in the house; they want to be able to work out. And then we started thinking about, well, what do I need as a parent? Mm-hmm. I need, you know, sometimes I need something to plop my children in front of. Uh, if only there was something, you know, so, you know, there are plenty of things out there, but I want them to read story time. Right. And, you know, we, so we together as a group, we came up with this idea for story time with the Vaqueros. And, you know, it's funny, I don't even remember who, who originally came up with the idea because this was a collaboration beyond just me and Danny. It was marketing, it was tickets, and uh, everybody was coming up with those ideas. That it was either marketing or tickets, I think, that came up with the story time idea. And so we said, okay, yeah, we, let's, let's do a few just to see how it's received. And we did the first one with Coach Hill, uh, Lou Hill, our men's basketball coach, and his daughter, Elle. And it got over 1,000 views on the first day. So I said, okay. Um, I don't think we need to hold back anymore. So – we started talking to other coaches and staff members. We, uh, we've engaged people around campus as well, our patron of the arts program, our school of medicine, our staff senate, human resources. And like we have a ton of people who suddenly want to read and get involved with this. So this is going to become a weekly thing on Tuesdays. So now we've got every single day of the week has a recurring piece of content set up. And that kind of takes the stress level of how are you going to keep yourself relevant and how are you going to keep content flowing? Because it's good content, too. It's not like it's just going out there to be out there. And then on top of that, you, you still have your regular things like we your season reviews, the highlight videos from seasons, signings, uh, and whatever other kind of regular news is coming out. So you can throw that all together and suddenly you have a, a pretty active presence uh, for a time in which there are no sports going on. And it seems, Jonah, there's really a hunger for that content as well. I know, you know, it seems like we, we don't have quite as much as we would during, you know, when, when there are games going on, but kind of in the same boat, trying to produce something at least every day, some sort of new content. And uh, one of the things we did with Whacktop Play is is we changed, you know, and we did some of the best dunks of the year, some of the best buzzer beaters of the year, which, by the way, uh, Jonah Goldberg uh, featured prominently in uh, <laughs> in some of those, um, and I, in particular the the Jordan Jackson dunk that uh, made it to Sports Center. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, it's funny that weekend. I, I don't know that I had ever said, Oh my goodness. Or maybe I didn't say it that often. <laughs> uh, it just, it just flew out of my mouth after I saw that dunk. And sure enough, there it is, is the ton, the best dunk of the night on sports center. And then 48 hours later, he throws down another incredible dunk, and he I does. blurted it out, oh, my goodness, again. And it ends up on top plays again. And I think those are the only two times all year I said, oh, my goodness. And, but if you don't know me, if you don't watch UTRGV games, you think that's my only call. That's the only thing I say. And, and, and I was just like, it's almost like I knew intuitively that that was going to be the dunk. And I purposely did that because, you know, like, it was just it was so funny to see that happen. And also the way I found out about it were – you know, I, I I clipped it out and I tweeted it hashtag SC top ten, but uh, I have a kind of a short term memory with games, which right. I have found very important uh, as a broadcaster. Like when you when you watch as many games as as I do, uh, and you work for the teams, and I developed this when I was in the minors doing minor league baseball. Uh, I found that it's best to try and forget about each game, uh, not get too high or too low, and just just move on, move on to the next one. And, you know, because if you lose and you, you sit there stewing about it, it's just, it's not going to make your life better. And if you win, you, you're really excited. I mean, it's great to be really excited about the win, but, you know, that can jazz you up and then you have trouble falling asleep and you're done the next day. So <laughs> I've, I've found a way to just kind of forget about it. And so I was still at the field house. Uh, I was wrapping something else up, I think. And, I had already forgotten that I uh, that I had tweeted out that dunk, so like this, is, and then I get a text message from somebody and says, "Hey, you're on Sports Center," and I wrote back, "What do you mean I'm on Sports Center?" And then I remembered the dunk, and I was like, "Oh, you mean Jordan's on Sports Center?" The clip that I tweeted on Sports Center. He said, "Well, yeah, but you're on Sports Center," <laughs> and then he he texted me the video, and I just I watched it. And I was like, well, you can't really hear me. He's talking over Then They're like, let's take you inside the broadcast booth. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was, was, that was yeah. one of the best highlights of the year, uh, bar none. And the, the other one, Jonah, was the, I think it was probably your last call of the season, was that game yeah. against California Baptist overtime. And Leslie Varner Jr. hits, uh, hits what wasn't, technically a buzzer beater with a few seconds to go, but uh, that was also a very exciting call. Oh, that was amazing. You know, just, you know, Leslie Varner has been all that in a bag of chips for four years. He, such a, a nice young man who, you know, his first two years, he was a good part-time player. He did what he was supposed to do. And you saw these flashes of brilliance and like, he almost had a triple double without a turnover as a freshman once. And that's when I thought, okay, this guy's got something. But, you know, he wasn't – he didn't put up gaudy numbers. And then as a junior, uh, I think he had a double-double in his first, like, seven games after only having four in his first two years combined. And he was – he just exploded. And to, to see a guy like that succeed always makes you happy. And to watch him get to end his career in such an amazing fashion, you know, it's – you never want to end the way this year ended right. where you don't even get to play your final game. But one day Leslie gets to look back and say, I ended my career on a game winning overtime shot. I mean, how special is that? Yeah. yeah. 
only like four teams get to end their season with wins in a given year. And if it's not going to be you, that means you're going to end your season with a loss. Uh, would you rather end your season with a loss or would you rather end your season uh, on that kind of shot? You know, I like to dream about winning a national championship and maybe it would have happened. Uh, anything's possible. Of course, it's sports. That's what happens in sports. Sports is the most illogical thing in the history of creation. Uh, you know, from uh, from UMBC to the U.S. Olympic hockey team, the, the most incredible things happen because of sports. But to say that he ended his the last shot of his career, won a game in overtime, you can't beat that. Well, well, the only thing that could maybe top it is the uh, the three on three Twitter contest because he would have been one of the WAC representatives. I, I believe I'm not sure exactly how that works, but I I know he, he was among the four that they were putting on the list there, and uh, the WAC makes it all the way through and wins the uh, the championship based on fan voting. Yeah, that was really exciting and. You know, Leslie and all of his teammates were huge in that. Uh, they they did a great job. Of, they, cre- they were creating videos that we were able to uh, put out on Twitter and on, and on Facebook and to try and attract people to vote on Twitter uh, for the WAC to determine who, was, who the winner was going to be. You know, the three-on-three tournament, they select teams of four graduating seniors from each conference to compete and uh, in a tournament to determine which seniors get to, they walk away with a ton of money in when they have actual basketball. I, I don't think there was any money exchanged this year because right. it became a social media contest. But, uh, you know, this year they left up the fans to decide who was going to win. And uh, all of the men's basketball student athletes and coaches made videos encouraging people to vote. They pushed it out to their own, uh, to their own followers. And then other student athletes started get, uh, getting involved the other teams got involved, coaches. You had people all around the Valley and UTRGV really pushing it hard, especially uh, in the final with in the in the final hour. The, the the WAC was losing to the MAC in the championship. And I remember I'd been following it all day and screaming in my computer and just trying to figure out how to bet, keep getting the vote out. And, uh, and then I had to take a break because put the kids to bed. And I finished reading stories, put my daughter down. I came out. There was 39 minutes left in the voting. I refreshed it, and I saw the WAC was down by like 180, 190 votes. And uh, <laughs> I was I was in such a bad mood at that point. <laughs> I was like, no way. We're not losing this. So I pulled out my, my last trick. Was, uh, I shared it from all the different sport accounts at UTRGV. Right. And all of a sudden, you saw – the student athletes from all those teams as well, and fans activate <laughs> and they all start pushing everybody. And in a matter of minutes, the whack was up by 500 votes. Wow. It was unreal. And then I just, I started laughing. Uh, and, uh, I t- I looked at my wife and I said, we're going to win. <laughs> <laughs> but I believe the other players that would have been on the team, I think Carlos Johnson from GCU, uh, Dejan Davis from CBU. And I think, uh, traveling queen, if, yeah, I, if I recall I mean, correctly. A, so of the four schools, I mean, that's that's four schools that get a pretty good fan following. Yeah, you know, and uh, and four players that if you put them all together on, on a team, like they really could have gone all the way. Like yeah. that, that's such a talented group right there that they could have beat anybody. And I'm, I'm glad the voting showed as much. <laughs> We're talking with Jonah Goldberg, who uh, not only – uh, does uh, a lot of the media relations stuff at uh, UTRGV, but he's also the voice of the Vaqueros. And one of the things 
I want to talk to you about, Jonah, is the, the fact that you do so much. And I, I don't know if you do it as, as much now. Where you, Are you still doing game stories and play-by-play, or have you kind of shifted of away from that? You wouldn't want me to get bored, would you? <laughs> <laughs> now, what, what, how do you compartmentalize that when you're doing play-by-play? Because to me, whenever I was doing broadcasting, the, the, the work really was in the preparation. Once you got to the game, that was the fun part. Uh, as long as you had prepared and, and had a lot to say, whereas uh, writing a game story, that's kind of more of a post-game thing. So how, how do you how do you do the two at the same time? Well, you know, I try to identify the story of the game for the broadcast. So when I once I as I figure out what the story is, I'm talking about it on the air, so I can type it at the same time. Uh, and you know, commercial breaks are helpful for that. Uh, sponsor reads things. When there are times that I may not be talking, it's a perfect time to just jump up and type down a few things, uh, especially since you know I've got the live stats up on half my screen, so I can still I can see what's happening there, and I know what's happening in the game. So you know I can take a minute when uh, if Brian's doing a read about uh, joining the V Club, or if we're in a 90 second commercial break, I can start jotting down some thoughts. And if I do it as it goes, you know there are times I end up deleting half of what i wrote because it just the story of the game changed and that, it happens uh but there are other times where uh, you know if the baseball team's up 10 nothing after two innings i have a pretty decent idea of where this is going now the only thing that can change is is the story going to be about blowing out a team or is the pitcher going to do something insane and then you know because kevin stevens was on the mound so of course there was a no hitter being thrown you know <laughs> You know, if I knew Stevens was starting, I probably start. I probably before the game even started, I wrote a headline uh, that probably said uh, Stevens tosses no hitter, and wrote a few paragraphs about that. Um, <laughs> it, you know, his it, that was just the kind of pitcher he was. So uh, I don't know. I've just I I learned this skill in 2007, uh, my first year of doing minor league baseball. I I had to do both the the recap and the broadcast, and our game started at seven. And the local paper went to bed at 1030 Mm -hmm. and they wanted something by 10. Well, uh, this is independent ball and our games were not over by 10. (laughs) Uh, They weren't always over by 1030. Right. So I needed to have something to them, but I also needed to broadcast. And I was by myself, by the way, I didn't have a broadcast party. So I had to learn to do it. I had no choice. So, uh, it took. I figured it out within a span of a couple weeks, uh, because at first I wasn't. I was. I'd write the story after the game, the way that you you talk right, to, right. and but I'd miss deadline. And you know, we had beat reporters uh, sometimes there for home games, but not for road games. And like I, I think the big moment for me, I was two weeks into the job, and I remember I got back. I, I didn't write my recap at the ballpark because I was I was always terrified I was going to get left behind if I didn't just run down to the bus. And even though all of our guys showered and there were two showers in the clubhouse and a roster of 21 or 22, so you know I had time, but I just I I wasn't ready for that yet. I was 21 years old and just it wasn't uh, wasn't comfortable just sticking around. So I would write when I got back to the hotel. And one night I got back and I was. I got back and I was so hungry. And I was like, ah, whatever. Let me just go eat. Then I'll go write the recap. So my recap came out at midnight. And uh, I heard about it from the league office. 
And then, but apparently I wasn't the only one doing it. It was everybody in the league was doing similar things. So uh, the league sent out a directive that you shouldn't be leaving the ballpark uh, until your recap is done. If you're on the road, just explain to the manager they got to wait for you. And uh, so when that happened, I thought, well, gosh, my manager's not going to wait. <laughs> He's going to leave me behind. So I realized I had to learn to write during the games. And I did. And I got to the point where I was sending out a recap. Like that last, that last hour was recorded and I hit send. Like I was, I was getting that fast. And it, it wasn't always that possible because sometimes you had to change if somebody went two for four, two for five, or who got the save and things like that. But what, like if I saw a closer warming up, I wrote in a sentence about how he tossed a scoreless ninth inning to get the save. And then if it happened to be a perfect ninth, I might change that one word. Or if he struck out the side, you know, I might quickly throw in those words but i had the words already written sometimes before they even happen uh, because if you're right you're done and if you're wrong you change it the same way you would have done it if you hadn't written it in the first place so that's one of the tricks i do is i'll write things before they happen and then if it turns out to be inaccurate or just doesn't make any sense and i just hit the delete button but if it sometimes it works out uh when i worked in the g league uh the we went we won the championship in 2010 and before game two of the championship series started, I wrote the first five paragraphs of the story. <laughs> uh, and I wrote it because there was some context stuff about the first expansion team to win a championship. I threw in a quote from the team president uh, that I made up. He didn't see until I hit send. Um, and, you know, I wrote, I wrote a few things like that context things that would be important if they won. And if they lost, I just hit delete. And, you know, in that case, the team won on a buzzer beater. So I obviously had to make some changes once the game was over because the headline was different. Uh, the, the lead was different. But the stuff I'd written could still go in the story. I just had to go elsewhere. So I initially learned how to do it because of survival. Uh, and then it just it just became a regular part of my skill, whereas I've gotten to the point where now on days where – and this happens from time to time, not too often, but if I'm broadcasting and I'm not writing the story – I'm almost like, what do I do with my hands? I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> now, Jonah, getting back to baseball, the UTRGV baseball team, COAC champions last year, started to get on a roll, uh, won eight games in a row uh, right before the the uh, season was ended. Uh, looked like that the Vaqueros might have been on their way to another special type of season this year. Oh, yeah. And they... I was so impressed by what I saw by the UTRGB baseball team. The, the pitching was so good. I mean, Kevin Stevens twice took a no-hitter uh, deep into a game. He pitched five no-hitter innings in his debut uh, as a walk-on who had pitched like nine innings in three years of collegiate ball and uh, starting on opening night, of course. And then he threw six and two-thirds of hitless ball to start his third start. Um you know, he was just, he was he was so special, and you could see it. And then Max Valderrama Jr. moved into the rotation our final weekend, and in his first career start, threw a shutout, and was striking out batters left and right. And uh, they had a Texas Tech transfer in the rotation, John Henry Gonzalez, who was looking pretty good and also was showing off the power arm. There was a lot of power there, and uh, there were there was some pretty good offense going too. The defense looked good. Like there was just there, there was a lot 
that was that was going right for the Carols. They'd won eight in a row when the season came to an end. They knocked off Kansas State twice. They had a dramatic win at Houston, where it was a grand slam in the eighth inning. A triple play. I ended up having to win it in 12. Oh, yeah, triple play. I mean, gosh, how many games have you ever seen that have uh, a grand slam and a triple play? One. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And the, the guy was also excited to see more of this year's Ricky Garrick Jr. Oh, goodness. He... As, as a closer, <laughs> and, and I was watching one of your games early on, and I'm like, look at the, I mean, because he's, what, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, and he's got yeah. the long, like the Thor hair, not just long hair, but kind of luscious long hair, <laughs> and, and can gas it up, you know, from the from the closer spot. I don't know how I... He, uh, he throw he got to throw mid nineties at least I would think and and uh, just does. one of those guys that fans could easily attach to. Yeah, you know, there's there's a rule about playing for the UTRGV baseball team. Uh, if you want to be named Ricky, you have to have long hair because <laughs> Garrick and Ricky Arevalo too. And Garrick, so he was a junior college transfer. And what I heard about him was that when he was pitching JUCO, all the teams, their opponents, they'd say we have to have the lead by before the eighth inning's over because we can't win in the ninth because he'd come in and it was over. Like, right. That's, that's the Mariano Rivera treaty. People don't say that about pitchers normally, but they were saying it about Garrick. And then to me, that, that just says everything you need to know about how good he was. And then like, and you're right to bring up the bullpen because the bullpen was really uh, coming together. Chase Bridges, who had the Raleigh fingers mustache. Uh, <laughs> you know, he was, he was looking really good coming out of the pen. Uh, Maybe trying to channel his own innermost Raleigh fingers. Uh, he had a Revelo coming back who had been really good last year and was uh, picking up right where he left off. Uh, a couple of newcomers in Tyler Kisner and Kenneth Davis who were looking good out of the pen and just start to think how good the pitching was and an offense that was already pretty good. And th- there really was a lot of potential there. I think it was going to be another exciting whack season. The, I mean, last year you had five teams within a game or two of first place right. at the end of the year. And I think you were going to have something similar again. There was a whole lot of talent in whack baseball last year. And I think uh, I'm hoping that we're going to get to see something similar going into next year as well. Yeah, one of the things with the NCAA ruling that uh, extra year of eligibility for the spring sport athletes and baseball seems to be the sport it affects the most because – the baseball draft is now in question, and even if they do have a baseball draft, they're talking about you know five or six rounds as opposed to the 40 rounds that they normally have. So a lot of guys that may have been drafted, especially from UTRGV, may not have that chance to get drafted this summer and may be coming back again next year. But then uh, possibly there are you know maybe recruits that have signed to fill some of those positions. So how is that all being handled there at UTRGV? complicated yeah <laughs> that, that's that's the utrgv baseball facebook status i think you know, it's just, <laughs> it, for, so from a senior standpoint uh, they're all being welcomed back on the same you know uh, and their their scholarships are being honored uh so you know it's going to cost i think the estimate it was over three hundred thousand, but you know it's it's the right thing to do and that's what we're going to do so if they want to come back they can come back and from what i understand it sounds like uh, for all the student athletes, I think most of them are coming back. I think there are a few who have decided to just, you know, that it's time, uh, you know, they're graduating time to move on. Uh, I think from baseball either. All, I think they're all coming back for baseball. Most of them, at least. 
So you're going to see guys like Andy Atwood uh, back for another year and uh, Christian Sepulveda back for another year. And But you, the draft brings up an interesting point because I think Max Balderrama is a guy that we figured would probably be drafted. He throws in the 90s. He throws hard. He's uh, he, had a, he had 11 strikeouts compared to two walks just this year. And he was uh, he was on his way to do it, to keeping up such a ratio. His control is pinpoint. He, uh, he can blow you away. We we figured he had a good chance to be drafted. But now, depending on what happens at the draft, you know, who knows? Uh, who knows how that's going to work? And and also how how this whole situation will affect the way people sign. You know, are our seniors out of high school? Are they going to are they going to be as quick to sign? Are they going to just are they going to have the same kind of leverage where they say, "Oh, go to college," and, or, or are they going to be like, "No, let's 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 just go in sh- straight"? And you know, questions about kids from college too who might have otherwise come back for another year and junior college rank. So there's a lot of it's very complicated. Um, but you know, Maxwell Drama is an exciting guy to me. Like if if he does come back, like if uh, if you know, he was only a, he's a grad student, but it was only his third year. So he already had another year of eligibility uh, anyway. Hmm. So now I'm wondering is, uh, does he start his PhD? Because he's, he's finished. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be done with his master's this summer. Yeah. Like he's been here three years and he's already got a master's. It's, it's incredible. Uh, and he got his MBA. We do offer a PhD in business administration. So uh, I, I think that would be really cool. Like I know, uh, some of the kids, some people are going to just go, you know, go get a second master's, which I think there's value in too, especially if it's in something uh, that can help just make you more marketable when you're looking for a job. Mm-hmm. I think that's what Andy Atwood's looking at. He's going to start a second master's, but you know, Paul Derama, he's a really good student, really good at time management, and so he's the one I look at. I wonder, will he get a second master's? Uh, will he go for a PhD? You know, there's a lot of really cool options for him. Uh, you know, if he decides to come back and uh, you know play play here and Really, can you imagine he graduates with a PhD after playing baseball here and you have Dr. Balderrama and then, of course, he goes play professionally because he's good enough to do that. Uh, how many pitchers in the major leagues have a PhD? I would say none. Probably. <laughs> now, one of and the things well, that's what I want to see. that they're talking about as well, Jonah, is with Major League Baseball as we record this at the end of April, that's still up in question. One of the ideas is moving everything to Phoenix and playing at the spring training stadiums of all the various major league teams there. I've seen some ideas where they split it up between Florida and Arizona, some having it all in Arizona. That'll be interesting to see what happens there. But again, what happens with minor league baseball then if we're not even sure what major league baseball is doing? And one of the things that would be kind of nice uh, is our friends at Ho-Ho Cam Stadium, where we always have the WAC tournament, would then uh, be hosting some uh, regular season major league games, and probably quite a few if they do decide to go that route. Yeah, that would be really cool to see and to think that, uh, you know, the WAC gets to host its tournament in a place that already hosts Major League Spring training, but now to actually host regular season games, uh, that just makes the WAC baseball tournament that much more special. Talking with Jonah Goldberg at uh, UTRGV and uh, getting back to basketball a little bit, we talked about Leslie Varner Jr. or Leslie Varner II, I guess. Uh, that, that That's correct, right? It's not Jr., it's Leslie Varner II. Correct. Uh, his first two years he went by junior, but his last two years he went by the second. And then uh, Jordan Jackson, they were both seniors this year, so they won't be back. But everybody else back next year. And the the fact that the UTRGV finished, they, they were the number two seed in the WAC tournament. So i got to imagine Lou Hill's pretty excited about next year. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, this was this was a big year. You think about this team. They were coming off a 20-win season and lost, I think it was five seniors, and then got off to a 6-14 and 14 start. And you think about that. This right. team was – they had six wins. And it, it was almost the end of January or, or the end of January. And then they, they exploded. They became the team that we thought they could be all year. And, you know, part of that was there were so many newcomers that took them time to gel. And then once they did, they became special. And I mean, they won eight of their final ten games entering the WAC tournament. You know, a lot of us thought that they were going to make a, a big run and really make some noise in Las Vegas this year. So uh, to see most of that team be able to come back next year uh, is is exciting because there there's a lot of really good players. And I think led by Vaughn Levi, who's – and defensive All-American two years in a row, and the WAC Defensive Player of the Year two years in a row, mm-hmm. I think there's a, a chance to continue just this upward momentum that the St. Archie men's basketball team has been building in its four years under Lou Hill. And this year, UTRGV would have hosted the Outdoor Track and Field Championships, would have been heading that down to Edinburgh here in a couple of weeks, which unfortunate again, but uh, obviously understand with the situation going on in the world. Uh, I know a lot of people at UTRGV were looking forward to hosting that particular championship. Absolutely. You know, we hosted it a few years ago, back in 2016, and that was that was a lot of fun. That was It's such a special week to be able to bring uh, all these student athletes together and i love the track and field championships they're among my favorite and because i, I love like when you have uh it, somebody on the, the getting ready to do the long jump or the triple jump and all the student athletes from the other teams clap together like they, they support each other it's not this like we're, we're we're wearing different uniforms so you know we we hope you don't do well they, they're all there supporting each other, hoping to get, you know, great marks and great times. And, yeah, they want to win. But it's it's such a different beast than some of the other sports. And I really enjoy watching that. And also, there's just a lot of talented student-athletes. Uh, you know, we were going to have a uh, chance to have some Olympians from the WAC and uh, possibly one from ETRGV, Yariel Matute, in the 200 and or 400-meter dashes. Had a great chance to qualify for Honduras and you know, and that's on hold for a year. And I, I, I really hope that he's able to qualify uh, next year and get to compete in the Olympics. And uh, it would have been special to see him here. I know there were a lot of plans for this year. Uh, Coach Flowers uh, had re- was really being uh, strategic about his roster. A lot of people redshirted last outdoor season with the idea of keeping them around for this year to win the WAC championships at home. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what that roster looks like coming into next year and certainly what uh, this squad's able to do going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And talking with Jonah Goldberg, Jonah, uh, you're from the East Coast, uh, but you've uh, made your home in Edinburgh and you've lived there for a long time. Tell us a little bit about your road from, uh, you mentioned you grew up in New York, uh, I believe went to school in Boston and, and then how you arrived in Edinburgh. Yeah, you know, I grew up on Long Island and, uh, I, my journey to Edinburgh started in the year 2000 uh, when I was in high school and the Yankees played the Mets in the World Series. It was the biggest event you could have in New York. And when it comes to rivalries, to me, the Mets were always the Yankees' biggest rival. I, I never even considered the Red Sox until I got to Boston. <laughs> and like, because it was the battle for the back page and also a battle for bragging rights with the people that you're around. And I'm not, wasn't around Red Sox fans. I was around Mets fans. 
uh, my dad and brother included. So when the Yankees played the Mets, it got so intense and so exciting, more more so than I'd ever really experienced before. Uh, and it got me really excited, and I determined that I never wanted to miss a Yankees game again. So I started listening on the radio because we, they were on a premium channel for TV, and I so we didn't get it. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't watch on TV, but I listened, and I thought oh, this is the greatest job in the world. So they're paying you to talk about sports, really? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, I started focusing my efforts on okay, how do I do this job? And uh, I started going to our high school baseball and softball games and with a tape recorder and uh, and then at one point in my senior year I got to borrow my dad's laptop that was really exciting that was you know that that was something that you know I had to be very careful with uh, because oh, yeah. you know, recording to that I, I, that was we had one it's not like everybody had a laptop back then that's right uh, so I'd record it then I built my own website and I post them up there and. Uh, it was really an exciting thing, and uh, so I started looking at communication schools, and that brought me to Boston University. And when I was in Boston, I met a friend named Alex, who is actually from the Rio Grande Valley, and he's a, also a sportscaster. So we were working at the studio radio station together, and we he ended up leaving to go uh, actually work in minor league baseball here in Edinburgh. Uh, there used to be two teams in the valley, and he was working for the Edinburgh team that was playing at the stadium that UTRGV inhabits uh, now. And mm-hmm. he, so we stay in contact. And uh, during my senior year, I was applying for jobs all across the country. And uh, I applied for, I actually applied for a team in Harlingen, the White Wings, but they, no, actually I didn't apply for them. I didn't apply at the White Wings because they needed somebody who could do winter league and I wasn't going to be out of school yet. So I applied for a different team in the league. And they ended up hiring the person who had done Winter League. So he left Harlingen. And there was suddenly a late opening. And Alex knew about it. And so he contacted me. And he was helping the league to fill the opening. And he also, I I had applied for the other team in the league. So they had my stuff on file already. And it all, you know, he was instrumental in helping me to get down here. So because I went to BU, that effectively helped me to get to the Valley. And I've been here now 13 years and I've loved every minute of it. Uh, the people here, like, you know, people, when they say, what's your favorite part about the Rio Grande Valley? Everybody, most people answer the weather. And the weather's fantastic. I, you know, while my friends back in New York are talking about putting on jackets and going out in the snow, uh, I'm sitting here with an air conditioner on, and it's 90 degrees and sunny, and that's every day. Uh, our average annual temperature is 78 degrees. We have 300 days of sunshine every year. And I'm 75 minutes from the beach. Uh, you can't beat that. But what really makes the Rio Grande Valley special is the people. Uh, it really is this great familial atmosphere. Even people you don't know, like everybody is so nice uh, to each other. And I love it. I love the people here. And when uh, even like when I moved into this neighborhood and I, uh, and I didn't know anybody, like, all the neighbors would wave if they were driving by and or just walking by and like everybody's just really welcoming and wherever I've been in the Rio Grande Valley, I found that. So, you know, it's, it's made it such a great place to live and a great place to raise a family. Yeah. Now we had said Bonner go down there this year for one of our uh, spotlight games on ESPN plus and work with you and, and said, couldn't say enough nice things about Edinburgh. It's one of those places. If you haven't been there, 
it's hard to know what it's like. And as you mentioned, yeah, I remember going there for the volleyball tournament. I want to say it was in in the nineties and it was November, you know, so that was a, a welcome change. You have palm <laughs> trees. And as you mentioned, uh, Padre Island's not too far away. So there's, there's a lot going on there. Now, uh, Brian Smith is, is your primary, uh, uh, what, what, what do you call him? Your, uh, partner in crime on the uh, broadcasts yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Brian, uh, you, you and he, I mean, you've done so many games together, so many different sports. It's, uh, it's kind of like how you mentioned you were able to do so many different things when you're writing and doing the broadcast, you and Brian know each other so well, you know, when to talk, when not to talk. You know, Brian and I are friends and I think that helps a lot where, and it's funny, we became friends after we started broadcasting together or during that time. Right. You know, I'm trying to, because I don't think I'd ever seen him socially before. And I really didn't know him that well. But what happened was he he had been helping on our stat crew since before I got here. And he works he, he works in the College of Liberal Arts on campus. That's his full-time job. He uh, he works in the dean's office. And uh, he, he, was, he, he wanted to be around sports and help out. And he would come and he would either help with stats or do the book or he basically done every position anything anybody ever needed at a moment's notice he was there and so it was it was great and he decided that he wanted to get more experience covering sports so he he started his own website bested sports and he asked if he could cover our games i said yes you know what let's do it it you know sometimes you have these media policies where you say well you need to produce this many stories first and all that and mm-hmm. you know we have things like that but at the same time what brian had been doing for us uh was incalculable so i said look let's give this a try and let's see what happens and we you know we'll start it with uh with soccer and volleyball because it was the fall and you know we'll go from there and and i was reading his stuff and he was doing a good job and i was listening to his interviews and he was asking smart questions and i realized that he was well-versed and he was doing preparation even though he was really just there to watch a game and write a story so one day uh i was getting ready to go and I w- it was a sunday afternoon game i w- and it was it was hot and i was staring out at the field thinking i don't i'm really hot it's been a long weekend because i think we had had other games that weekend i'm a little tired this is going to be hard today and brian was sitting right next to me so and it was about 10 minutes of game time I say hey brian you want to do color <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he said yes so i pulled out a, another headset from my dad plugged it in and he did a good job and so i said okay you know let's let's do this for brawl of soccer and then uh, i think we expanded it to volleyball from there and he was still doing a good job and it's like okay and then uh we expanded it to basketball a couple of years ago, and uh, now he jumps on baseball sometimes too. You know, I primarily work with Danny Elizondo in baseball, but when Brian's available, sometimes we'll bring in a three-man booth, or if one, if either me or Danny can't be there for some reason, Brian will jump in and work. So, like he's he's really become very uh, you know an integral part of our broadcast. And after he we, he started doing it, you know, then we started having lunch, and we got to know each other better, and we realized yeah we're we're really good friends and we're you know we really like each other which helps i think and uh you know we just talk all the time and uh, when you can build a friendship like that i think it helps you on the air too because you talk to each other normally you don't talk to each other like 
uh, like your statues. One person's the play-by-play guy. One person's the analyst. And you know, you, you fill your roles. Instead, you you become more natural, which I think makes for a better broadcast. And you know, like one of the things I did with uh, said you mentioned said Bonner came down for the Grand Canyon men's basketball game, and and I've interacted with him over the years in, in Vegas. So I didn't know him that well. Right. So when he came down, uh, we went and met up the night before the game, uh, probably for about two hours or so. And we didn't talk about, uh, we didn't talk much about uh, the UTRGV or Grand Canyon or anything else. We talked to each other. We learned about each other. And we got to know each other. And, and then, yeah, the next day, around when we talked a little more about the sports stuff. But, but we focused more on getting to know each other, and I, I think that helped. I thought it went really well. I was, I, I thought we had pretty good rapport, especially for working together the first time. And I think that that was a big reason why. I think it's, it's really about people. Everything's about people. The rest of it, you know, comes with the preparation, and, and it'll flow naturally if the people like each other. Talking with Jonah Goldberg and Jonah, uh, before we go, I wanted to ask you about your. Your history. I, I know you're the uh, descendants or the descendant of of Holocaust survivors. Both your grandparents on on one side, and and you also have an uncle who is who is still living, who's a Holocaust survivor. That's that's amazing to have that. I, I, I guess at your fingertips, if you will, to to have those stories in your family that you can then share with others, so that uh, people can never forget what what happened. You know, it's been 75 years, uh, and it's uh, it's something that's so important to me. I'm very passionate about Holocaust education and making people, making sure people know what happened. Because you know, the further you get away, and as the the survivors die out, it's it's going to be easier to forget or just for it to not seem as real. You know, you read about it in a textbook, and you see these gaudy numbers, but it. I don't think things are are often as real until they affect you or until you meet somebody who's really affected by it. And I think that for me, just growing up with people like that has made it, you know, uh, as real as it could possibly be. And hearing stories about it, you know, my, my grandfather uh, would, uh, oh, he would tell me a story about, he was a tailor and that's how he survived the concentration camps was he would act as a tailor. He'd repair the Nazis, their clothing. And there were a few other tailors, and one of them would speak poorly about the, uh, not about, the, about the Nazis in French. And my grandfather would say, don't speak French. You don't know. They might know it. Right. And one day, sure enough, one of the Nazis knew it. He shot him right in front of him. And like, he, t- he told me that story multiple times. And it, you know, it haunts me, but it also, it, it made it real. And I realized, my goodness, how, the, to what happened? And then, you know, my uncle Joe, uh, or great uncle, I should say, 91 and a half years old, still going strong. Uh, he still goes to, he lives in Charleston, South Carolina, and he goes around to, to schools. Uh, not right now, of course, but, you know, when things are, are normal, he goes around to schools and he, he speaks to them and uh, he, he, he speaks at all these functions and he's involved with the city and the state to, uh, to promote Holocaust education. And, and he's, he's always trying to make sure that people hear the story firsthand. And it's to, to hear what he went through, he, they made him into a brick laborer. And then when he acted out in brick laborer class, I guess you would call it, they put him outside and they poured 
cold water on him. Oh, and part of the way, it was freezing outside. It was winter. Mm-hmm. And he almost froze to death. Um, it was, by the grace of God, he survived. And he, then he was on the death march, where if you stopped walking, they shot you. And then they packed him onto a train to take him further in as the Allies were advancing. And he jumped from the train. Uh, and then they stopped the train to look for him. He had to cover himself in snow uh, mm. to avoid being found. And Uncle Joe, so, he's he's now ninety one years old. Yeah, he's ninety one wow. years old. And when I hear what he went through, and to hear what my grandparents went through, and uh, and a couple other family members who were Holocaust survivors as well, you know, it really it changes the way you look at things. Like, our, you know, when something happens in your life that might seem bad, I'm not saying it's necessarily trivial. I mean, because oh well, he went through this, but. You know, you, you take everything. I, I, I try to take things differently because I say, well, yeah, things are serious, but if it's not life and death, you know, it's not as as it's not the same. And that it it just changes my perspective on things to have gone to have grown up that way, to grow up with these stories and and to still have that access. And you know, right now being being quarantined uh, in the house for well, uh, I guess about a month and a half now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I ever feel bad about the situation, I, I can just give my Uncle Joe a call. And I try I speak to him at least once a week. And uh, and he's so positive about what they're well, about everything right now. You know, he doesn't get he's high risk. So he really doesn't get to see anybody. You know, people drop off grocers for him. He does not leave his his place. And uh, he, and he really can't uh, because it it could be very risky for him. And but he's he's really upbeat. You know he's he's happy. He's you know what uh, he's been through much worse, and he's he knows that things will get back to normal. When I hear that that positive attitude coming from him, I'm like you know what you're right. We will get through this. Uh, how long it'll be we don't know, but we will get through it, and we'll be stronger for it. The same way he was stronger for it. Well, Jonah, that's an amazing story, and and I could ask you all kinds of other questions here, but. Uh... We try to we try to limit the time here on the WAC podcast, but want to want to wish you the best. Hopefully, you and your family are are doing well, and and give our best to Uncle Joe out there in Charleston, South Carolina, and and your relatives up in the Northeast, and and hopefully everybody gets through this uh, healthy, and and when we get through it, uh, we're better for it on the other end. Absolutely, you stay well. All right, that is Jonah Goldberg, the Associate AD for Communications at UTRGV. We also had Rachel V. Hill on, and we want to thank you for listening to the WAC Podcast. Thanks for listening to the WAC Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website at WACsports.com. <laughs>